contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Really important edition here. The landmark study between CTE and football, a causal link. It's been in the news. Everyone's talking about it. I've got the authors. Dr. Chris Nowinski, co-founder, CEO of the Concussion Legacy Foundation. Dr. Jesse Mez, assistant professor at BU School of Medicine, co-authored the study. This landmark study, we're going to get into it. The impact on football, where do we go with it? That's coming up first. A word from our sponsor, Harry's. I am one of three million guys that have switched over to Harry's. It is a great shave, comfortable, close, never a cut. The quality of the blades is terrific. I use it every day. I never have had a cut. I love the aftershave smell, masculine, not too fragrant. You can get your free trial now, $13 value. When you sign up, just cover the $3 shipping. You're going to get this, a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineered blades. That's five with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, the rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. This is why Harry's is so confident they're just going to give you this set for free and you sign up at harrys.com slash sports. So again, get your free trial, harrys.com slash sports, all caps, S-P-O-R-T-S right now. That's harrys.com slash sports. Harry's, a new way and the best way to shave. On to the podcast. Wanted to get into the study that's out now for the Journal of American Medical Association and BU and the New York Times and other people talking about it. I wanted to get right to the the people involved, and good friend of mine, Chris Nowinski, who's co-founder and CEO of the Concussion Legacy Foundation. A lot of people know Chris out there for collecting uh, brains of deceased players and, and doing great work as he does up at Boston University. And also with me is Dr. Jesse Mez, who's assistant professor of neurology at BU, BU School of Medicine, and a lead researcher in this study. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, Andy. Thanks so much. Let's start with, uh, I guess, Dr. Mez in terms of the study. Now, we've followed uh, Dr. McKee and her study of brains for years now. Is this information now in the Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA, is this new information or is this a compilation or some kind of continuation of a longitudinal study that's been going on for a while? Take us inside this new information that's out there and whether it is, in fact, new information. Sure. So... So, uh, in a sense, it is a compilation. Uh, in a sense, it's a continuation. Um, but it's also new in that um, beginning in 2014, um, we received uh, funding from the NIH. And with that funding, we were able to um, make our analysis of this uh, group of brain donors and, and um the information from their families, we were able to analyze it um, more rigorously. Um, we, we introduced um, more um, structured and unstructured clinical interviews. Uh, we have a consensus panel uh, where several clinicians weigh in. We now have more neuropathologists who all uh, consent. And, and then with this study, we also have limited it to just football players. So we have a pretty homogeneous uh, mm-hmm. exposure, which gets us uh, closer to making inferences about the relationship between football and CTE. 
And Chris, you've been talking about this for years, and this is yet another, I guess, kind of notch in your belt as you continue to come out with these findings that have been consistent with what you've been saying all this time. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that when we started this work 10 years ago, you know, the first few cases that came up, people like, oh, it's a one in a million shot. And then it was, well, it's only five cases. Then it's only 10 cases. And now, you know, we're 111 brains in of, of former NFL players, and we've only found one negative. And that, I don't think anybody ever expected that 10 years ago. And it, it you know, although it's not a prevalent study because people are more likely to give us the brain uh, if they saw something, the families shouldn't even be right 99% of the time. There should be something else causing those symptoms that they're seeing. So to find that the team has found that pathology is is, is striking, concerning, and, and continues to light a fire for us to find ways to prevent and treat this. Let's bring that out right away, this sort of the devil's uh, argument against what you're talking about. And it's the sample size, which Dr. McKee admits in the article in her findings about a, I don't know what the word is, a bias sample, a slanted sample. You said it. Uh, most of these players, if not all, there were concerns from the family about where they were later in life. How do you think, and I'll ask both of you this, that skews the sample and where do we come out with knowing that about most, if not all, of these donated brains? Uh, Chris, you want me to start? Please do. You're the lead sure. author, sir. <laughs> sure. So, so um, uh, as you said, the study isn't designed to get at the prevalence of CTE in the general football population, and there is likely this selection bias right um that that being said you look you you go back to to all of the other brain banks that, that exist uh in the world and and with some caveats all of those brain banks they they look similarly uh at the brain for for evidence of neuropathology neurodegenerative disease and you know in those brain banks cte is rare very rare and then in our brain bank it's incredibly common and the only difference between their brain banks and our brain banks are that all of ours are required to have exposure to repetitive head impacts, often football, but also other context sports, military exposure, et cetera. And so it begins to suggest that there is um, uh, the strong relationship between uh, repetitive hits to the head and this disease. Um, there, the, the bias that, that exists means that um, we need to, in a sense, do analyses that take that bias into account. Mm -hmm. um, that might be by statistical manipulation of the data that we have in hand. Uh, it also might be in the future designing new studies that, that um, are specifically meant to uh, address those types of biases. Right. And, and I would add, fo you know, focusing on, I mean, this is what, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the conversation on social media becomes like, oh, my God, everyone has it. Or, oh, my God, like what happened to the other 15,000 people that weren't studied who played in the NFL? Right. And I think that that it sort of misses the point that that's not what this study is here to do. This study, um, I thought the New York Times is something interesting, which was another way to look at the data is that we have captured the brains nearly 10 percent of every former NFL player that's died in the last five years. And the fact that they almost all have it means the minimum, you know, basically the minimum on the field right now, you know, is 10% of guys are dealing with this. 
And that's that should get everyone's attention. If that was the headline, that you know, nine or ten percent of NFL players have former NFL players have CT. I think we'd have a much different discussion because that is an unacceptably high number, um, considering how rare this is in the, in the normal population, based on all the discussions we've had with other brain banks. And Chris, I've heard you talk about CTE so many times and get into the science, but for a uh, quick and not scientific explanation, just for everyone listening. It's obviously wreaking tremendous havoc on these gentlemen uh, that have lost their life and have come to this point. What, in a nutshell, is this disease doing to people? Well, again, when I when I have a resource like Dr. Mez on the phone, I'll yeah. I'll hand it to him because he's the, he's Dr. Mez is the person on the phone with these families. So once the brain comes in, you know, the brain goes to Dr. McKee and Dr. Mez and his team get to know the family and they do calls with them and these long interviews. So we get their whole history, their sports history, their medical history and all their symptoms. And so he has a better window into the symptoms as a neurologist that he thinks are related to the disease. Dr. Sure. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, so we, we do a, um, uh, a structured interview where we ask the same questions to all of the, the group uh, of uh, family members for all of the athletes. And then we also do an unstructured interview where it's basically just an open conversation, very much like what I would do uh, in my memory disorders clinic. And what what we hear again and again is that uh, there, there's in a sense uh, with some caveats, two clinical presentations, an initial one where uh, oftentimes shortly after football ends, um, the players start to begin having a short fuse, disinhibition, um, depression, um, mood fluctuation, and this seems to go on for some time, and then later on, they tend to develop uh, cognitive problems, so memory problems, language, executive function problems, and there's generally a progression. And then in the other group, we tend, they tend not to have those mood and behavioral symptoms quite as much, and they tend to initially have uh, cognitive problems, uh, memory problems, uh, and then they might also have some of the mood and behavior, but it's not as prominent. And again, there's, there's a progressive course. And then um, oftentimes uh, later in life, they have uh, functional impairment too, so, so dementia, cognitive impairment with functional impairment. And, and Andrew, I'd add, based on the work that's been done, the understanding is that the disease is starting in people's brains while they're active. And so some aspect of the brain trauma, we think it's purely a physics injury. Parts of their brain are, are stretching and pulling apart with these injuries, you know, starts uh, your, your cells to start to fall apart. And that spreads from cell to cell. And the, the symptoms that Dr. Medicine generally seem to uh, associate with the parts of the brain that are starting to fall apart, first with the frontal lobe and then eventually towards the medial temporal lobe where you start to see these emotional changes and memory changes. And let me get this clear. Are we attributing this to repetitive blows to the head? So... Scientifically establishing a causal link is, is very difficult. Right. Um, we can say right now that there's a strong association. Um, the fact that this is a disease we don't see or rarely see in these other brain banks, but it's a disease we commonly see in our brain bank, again, with this, the one major difference is this 
need for repetitive head impacts for uh, eligibility suggests that, that there's a strong association, and, and we're working hard to, to establish that causal link. Yeah, and, and Andrew, I'll add to that, that it's sort of, you're asking, it's sort of, in my mind, two questions. Right. One is, if you're, in, if you're in your med school class, and you want to be the person who wins the contest of, you know, what's the minimum threshold to prove causation, that hasn't been proven. But if you are somebody who's choosing whether or not to play football, or whether or not your child should play football, it's important to know that there is not another hypothesis on the table that can that even has a chance to explain these symptoms, uh, this disease, and these symptoms. So, from my perspective, you know, it's it's fine to start. You know, we should move forward with our policies under the assumption there's a causal link as we try to protect people, as we try to protect the next generation, and also as we start to think about how we treat this. Uh, but, but. As Jesse said, that proving that to the to the level of evidence we need will take you know decades. Go ahead. No, I mean, I would just add that you, that I, that when we when we talk about an association, one of the ways and probably the way that's that's happening here is you have an uh, causation is what causes that association. There are other things that can cause an association, but but causation is a common cause of. Um, of association, yeah, yeah. perfect. <laughs> and I think along those lines, I'll, I'll I'll sort of go with the the column in the New York Times now, which laid out of the 110 players found to have CTE, they laid out by position, and it's stark with the one position, and you know so well, Chris, the lineman position. I assume this this encapsulates both offensive and defensive linemen that. Uh, 44 of the 110, more than twice as much as the next group running backs, 20, um, having, you know, which would suggest kind of an obvious point. These are the people on the field that are hitting each other the most, whether they not be, and you and I have talked about this, Chris, and the, the violent hits that are shown on, on TV as these stark blows, rather than repeated Subconcussive hits. There does seem to be something to that, according to this, correct? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. I mean, it, it's important to appreciate that nine of the 22 starting positions on a football field are linemen, so we'd expect that to right. be the largest group. But that's the right point when you consider: is it the big hits? Is it the big concussions? Is that wide receiver getting laid off, laid out, going across the middle? No, there's something to the repetitive hits, and that's showing up in in all the research. That's not just those five diagnosed concussions you got that's causing this disease, but more likely the 20,000 hits you took. Doctor, anything to add? Um, yeah, no, I, I would agree with Chris there. I, I mean, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that it's it's concussion, so symptomatic hit to the head. I mean, this is a neurodegenerative disease mm -hmm. that oftentimes is presenting years later why why are those symptoms that happen at the time of the hit uh, particularly relevant I, um well i mean the the association that we're showing is is with football and in football there's repetitive hits there's nothing specific about this study that that says anything about the concussions and let's yeah and i think that we should get to a bigger issue about football versus the nfl obviously most of the brains you're studying are nfl players but this is happening in the sport of football, among other contact sports, whether it's played in the NFL or other levels. So I guess the question to you guys is, so where are we with football? 
Uh, forget about NFL for a minute. Where are we with football if we're showing these dangers to be true about the game itself, not the NFL version of it, but the game itself? Yeah, Andrew, you, you know, you, we found uh, CT in, in people who just played high school football. Right. And, and, and in you know, over 90% of the 53 uh, brains we looked at of college players. So it's a systemic issue, right? This is not unique to the NFL. And from my perspective, as somebody who, who banged my head on the field and, and played a little uh, at Harvard, um, the more I realize the dangers here, the more I'm convinced that, you know, the NFL, you know, as a former professional wrestler, I can tell you that adults can have da- do dangerous jobs they want to and more power to you. And if that's how you want to make a living, have fun. Um, but I can't, I don't see how this, we can say this is appropriate for children if, if, this is what we're seeing. And what we're seeing is a relationship not unlike smoking and lung cancer, that the more cigarettes you smoke and the longer you smoke, the greater your risk. And if that's what's happening here, you know, the, the society made the decision with smoking that you don't, can't smoke until you're 18 and you're an adult. And so to think that five-year-olds have the capacity to say, I want to be involved with this risk with my life, even though there's all these other options to get exercise, I think that's where the conversation needs to lead. If we ever want to prevent future cases of CT in, in this football population, which is really, you know, most of my friends. Yeah, I think what you're, what you're kind of saying, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, is that, you know, it's an it's, it's a industrial hazard. So if you are an adult, I mean, and if you work in construction on skyscrapers, you're going to walk around, you know, ledges that are 28 stories high. And if you work in football, you're going to bang your head against other people. Uh, and I think I, what I hear you right. saying is that's an adult decision, but children should exactly. be protected. Go ahead. Exactly. So when that when that uh, worker on the ledge on the twenty eighth floor, you know they don't have bring your kid to work day there, right? <laughs> because it's just it's just it's too dangerous for a child to be doing that. So um, I, we do have to look at this this way. Like football, if you think, I mean, this, let's also remember that like kids playing football was not a thing for all nearly the first hundred years that football existed. It wasn't until the 1960s that Pop Warner became a national organization. Even Pop Warner himself didn't recruit five-year-olds to play football. He knew, he knew better. And I think you know, very, you know, we didn't really understand these long-term relationships with the brain and business interests got in the way, and suddenly it seemed like a good idea to just keep pushing the game younger and younger. And the only reason we really stopped at five is because that's the age kids can remember some general understanding of the rules. We, so we actually have to put science into action as we think about what kids should play, and, and we shouldn't just go on with this because it's tradition. I think youth football was a big mistake, and I think we need to push the middle age to high school uh, before you start unloading on a kid's brain. So let's be clear. You, a former player, and Dr. Mez can answer as well, are, I I don't know how to phrase this, okay with football as long as it begins at at a whatever proper age, 14, 15, 16 years old. Well, yeah, and I'll speak for myself and just reiterate, you know, adults can do whatever they want. But, you know, that, that I have no problem with with, high, uh, with professional or college football, though I would say the college football players in, in profit-generating places who are getting CT should be compensated or provided lifetime medical care. But right. that's another issue. But, um, no, I think, I think that I, my takeaway from this paper is not only – 
is it a great job by the by this research team to uh, and they're set up to start to understand all sorts of uh, future uh, things that I'll let Dr. Mez talk about. But they have a, a rich resource that's never been created in the history of the world on CTE. But also the takeaway is, hey, let's urgently start to change this conversation to focus on, hey, if we want to ever prevent this, it starts by holding kids out from tackle football until high school. Right. I, so I agree largely with what what, um, uh, what was just said. I mean, it's certainly reasonable for a uh, an adult who is being compensated to, to play this sport. The thing is, is we know that there's this relationship between – football and CTE and um, but we don't know the 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 size of the relationship meaning it could be this gigantic effect like we're like we're seeing in our in our cohort or it could be a smaller effect and but there's an effect there and without knowing what that effect is and without knowing who is at more risk and who is at less risk uh, we need to exercise tremendous caution and then finally, let's turn it to the NFL. And, you know, Jeff Miller, the head of player health and safety, I know was, what was it about two years ago, a year and a half, where he was on a roundtable at Congress sitting next to, I believe, Dr. McKee when he was kind of called and, and admitted uh, of a link to CTE. And everyone looked at it as a real gotcha moment for the NFL. But he did say, as I think the NFL says now, so what do we do about it? And... They point to all their money being given out and all the helmet design and the research and the grants, etc. Uh, you know, I want this to be a fair question. Do you think they're doing enough? They are the beacon, of course. We talk about football at all levels where this is affected, but everyone looks to the NFL. Do you see them doing enough and their response to studies like this? I'd like each of you to comment if you could. You, you want me to take that, Dr. Mez? Yeah, I think it would be better. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I think. Yeah, um, I, I think that if I, hop on my Twitter, Chris Nowinski one, and see that I was just posted a Washington Post article where they noted that yesterday um, uh, members members of the Democratic Party in Congress sent a letter to the NFL said, "Hey, you remember that 2012 30 million dollars." that you promised to give the NIH Foundation, because at that point in 2012, you agreed you'd been funding terrible research and you're doing a bad job of choosing what's good, and you're going to give the NIH the rights to distribute this $30 million for CT research as they see fit. Remember that? They said, where is it? Because the NFL has only given out $12 million of that. And if you want to dig into that, there's a very interesting story about how they refused to give it to the Boston University team for their study, and the NIH eventually funded the study themselves. You're but there's team. still an 18, yeah, to 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 our to a team led by Dr. Bob Stern, who's right. not co-author of this paper as well. And so there's 18 million dollars missing that the NFL owes. And if you think about it, we're five years later, and the NFL has refused to give that $18 million, which would be the largest grant ever in this space of CTE research. And so they've, they've slowed down CTE research by five years. You know, they got their PR push in 2012, but they won't give the money. And if you look at the other side of that, that what their answer is, well, we just pledged another $100 million. What they pledged that $100 million to is not CT research. What they pledged, they said 60 of it is going to equipment like helmets, mm-hmm. and another 40 is going to mostly concussion research. So what they're doing, if you are, if you are 
I don't know if you've dealt with them as long as I have, what you see is a very clear game plan here. They don't want to dig into CT because they know it's not winnable. They know that what's what's going on here is horrifying and it's going to change their business. It could change their business model and their profit center in a big way. Instead, they're trying to sprinkle money around uh, to researchers to try to continue the myth that this is easily solved by some sort of technical technological invention in helmets or that concussions is really the issue. And concussions is not the issue. So that $100 million is not going to go very far towards solving the CT problem. And instead, we're going to continue to watch families suffer while there's, vir- there's virtually no treatment infrastructure at all. And while, while they we're not having the conversation, which the biggest prevention opportunity we have is postponing the introduction of tackle football. It's not helmets. And so I'm, you know, it's, I'm, I'm very frustrated is the nicest way I'll put it with what we see happening here. And it's, it, we got to talk about the truth here that the NFL, I don't know if they're ever going to fully and appropriately back CT work. And so we have to go around them and around their PR campaign to keep their business going. And how do we do that with or without the NFL, though, Chris, in terms of telling, I don't know, mothers, parents, don't, you, don't start your child in football until it's appropriate adult behavior, I guess. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's, you, I mean it's, it's going to be a heck of a fight because, you know, and that's what our, we see our role as the, the Concussion Legacy Foundation is, you know, we, we, we do our best to help the BU team, uh, you know, and the VA team get the brains that they're doing this great research on. And then we see it as, you know, our job is more to, with public health officials and scientists, figure out what, what comes out of this. What do we learn from this? And what, so that what we're learning is that, yes, don't play when you're young. And we're up against, you know, a gigantic multi-billion dollar organization that has incredibly strong relationships with the media, especially the television media, and, and also owns the governing body of youth football, USA football. Um, and so, and, and is, in, is pretty much all, the entire board. And so there is, there's not going to be an easy way to reach parents, um, to tell, to show them this, this data with truth. There's a very clear misinformation campaign that's being led by, you know, a lot of different folks who have relationships, um, with professional football. And so we have to fight against, you know, the, the, whether they say it's a biased sample and therefore it's meaningless, which is not true, or they say, you know, heads up football is going to save the day, even though they were exposed last year by the New York Times is fraudulently promoting the benefits of it. Like it's, it's going to be an ugly battle, but, you know, we see it our, our job to win it and being able to be on, you know, your podcast to talk about it's, you know, one way to reach a lot of folks, but, you know, it's going to take a while to reach everybody. Yeah, and finally, as we record today, uh, we had a retirement in the NFL. I believe 25, 26 years old, John Urschel, Baltimore Ravens, well known as having, I believe, an advanced degree in mathematics from Penn State. Um, I haven't seen anything, but is there anything anecdotal about his retirement or coincidental, I guess, uh, coming out? A, a few days after this study uh, being published, in your mind, and you suspect we will see more of this. Well, I'll tell you that uh, I just read that the uh, Baltimore Sun and the ESPN is reporting that this was the reason why that the study was the reason why, and it had been something he'd been thinking about, and he's on record thinking about it and talking about it. The Players Tribute in 2015, how it's not logical that he wants to continue to play, considering his real goals are math. Right. So. 
you know, I was talking to Ted Johnson this morning, our other good friend, uh-huh. and, you know, in 2007, went forward with his severe post-concussion syndrome and was one of the first guys to put a face to this issue, a uh, former New England Patriots linebacker. And, and, you know, we were remarking on, you know, when we you know, first went to the New York Times in 20, uh, 2007 together to tell his story, um, it was all about giving the professionals a choice. Ted was, a, was sort of bothered by the fact that, you know, uh, he might have played again, but he would love to have known, you know, what we know about the science so he could make an informed decision. And so, from my perspective, I'm happy to see that guys are hearing the message. I mean, we can't, you know, there's only so many ways to reach the players, and so sometimes putting it on the front page of the New York Times is the way to go, so they read it. But uh, it's reaching them, and it's guys like Chris Borland and, and John Urschel who are, you know, making the best choice for them, and, and I'm happy for them. Anything to add, Dr. Mez? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think from from the researcher standpoint, I think as big a news as I as we thought this paper might be, it it has reached so many more people, and and the fact that it's reached so many people means that that those who haven't heard these numbers before uh, are now hearing them. So whether it's the NFL player or it's the the father on the sidelines, it's that much more of a opportunity for them to garner information and make an informed choice. So, so that's good. And we'll leave it with that. Really interesting discussion with uh, Chris Nowinski, my longtime friend, co-founder, CEO of the Concussion Legacy Foundation, and Dr. Jesse Mez, assistant professor of neurology mm-hmm. at Boston University School of Medicine, co-author of this uh, amazing study that's out now, New York Times, Journal of American Medical Association. Guys, thanks so much for being with us, and, and thanks for all you do with your important work. Thanks for having us. Thanks Thank so much. Andrew. Thanks for listening to The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.